Welcome tonight to our evening service. We're glad that you are here in person and also viewing our service online tonight. We have the opening hymn, number 498. It's one that we may not just be so familiar with, at least some may not, Be Gone Unbelief, My Savior is Near. So I want to have the organist piano play through the first verse. You watch the words and we'll make sure we get a hold of this and then we will stand and begin with the first verse. as we praise the Lord. tonight and you've got a good hold of this one. It may not just be quite so new as we thought. Verse 5 says, Why should I complain of want or distress, temptation or pain? He told me no less. The heirs of salvation I know from His Word through much tribulation must follow their Lord. One of the promises that we often reflect on in the New Testament is simply this. The Lord said, if we have Him, if we know Him, if we follow Him, uh, there is a promise of persecution for all who will live godly in Christ Jesus. Well, that's something that we take as a promise, a certainty. But the hope that we have is this, that when the Lord is with us through any walk of life, through any storm, Christ is in the vessel of our lives, 
we're able to take good courage, go forward, and not be overcome with fear. Let's sing, please, this final verse. Since all that... Let's come, please, to pray now and commit our service unto the Lord. Father, once more we have been given the grace and privilege to come to your house and for this evening's service. We acknowledge, Lord, the blessings that are so bountiful and have come so freely to us. Father, at the very beginning of our time, I pray for the Spirit's help in every part of our meeting. Help to sing. Help to pray. Help to read the Scriptures. Help, Lord, to understand the Word as it is spoken, and that we might enjoy each other's fellowship while never forgetting that we have come to meet with our God and our Father, our blessed Savior, the Holy Spirit, And Lord, as we have come, that other things that would so often crowd in, they would be shut out. And Lord, for this time we have, we would use it to the maximum, to the greatest benefit, and that our minds and hearts and all of our being will be absorbed in the wonder and glory and transcendence of our God. Father, bless us, we pray, to increase our desire in the things of God, to increase our commitment to Your will and way. We rededicate ourselves and pray as we are about to step into our fall program and work of much busyness and ministry and activity. Father, we need to know Your power We need to know that reviving of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, enabling and equipping us for whatever task we have in front. Dear Lord, we are not able for the work. Left to ourselves, we would crumble and fall away. But, O God, we want to depend more fully, more completely, more with all of our being, upon our great God and Savior. Lord, we are asking tonight for that blessed reviving. We're asking for that power that You have promised to us. We're asking, Lord, that we might go forward in the joy and victory of the risen Christ. We were thinking this morning from John 15 about the joy of Christ that has been promised to us Help us, therefore, O Lord, not to be taken in by the fraudulent joy of this world. No, Lord, we want to know that genuine, that deep, abiding presence and joy of Christ in our heart. 
And we know, Lord, that this does not mean that problems of this world are erased. But it does mean with the Lord Jesus with us and in the vessel of our hearts, we will truly be able to smile at the storm, not with any kind of smugness, but with the certainty that there is victory for the child of Christ. Let us not fear the face of the enemy. Defeat the devil, we pray, in our lives. And every time he would come to cast us down or make our thinking go strange, Lord, reinforce, anchor our thinking in the Word of Christ. And I pray we'll go forward from strength to strength, We'll go forward from faith to faith and we will add to our faith all of the necessary characteristics and the wonderful benefits that we have received in the Gospel. Father, we're also thinking today of the fruit of the Spirit. And I pray that this fruit will be abundant in all of our lives, that every aspect of it from love to temperance, and that everyone in between, we would see these things multiplied and increasing in our life day by day. Thankful, Lord, in the morning service for our brother Houston, who is with us in the message and song. Bless our brother as he heads home tomorrow and answer his prayers. We're thankful for those who were able to be with us in the service today and from the elderly ones, the ones who have lost loved ones. Bless them, be with them, encourage them. And Lord, for the ones that we've been asking for, for Your hand to be upon them. We think of our brother Ron tonight. Thankful he's here. Encourage his heart. Bless him. Build him up. Keep him, Lord. Bless Serene. We're thankful that she's been able to attend the services more frequently and regularly. And Lord, continue to pour out Your Spirit of healing and touch upon her body and many, many others from young to old. Lord, bless each one, we pray. So hear our prayers. Bless our school as we will be recommencing again for the fall program. Bless our teaching staff. And tomorrow and Tuesday for the orientation times and just team building and drawing together, bless the new staff members who will be joining with us, and the old seasoned veterans. May, O God, our time together be blessed of heaven, and be with our administration. Give great wisdom and help to every detail, every decision that has to be made. Bless our staff, our students, our parents, and may this year be a year of salvation. May it be a year of spiritual growth among our young people. And may, O oh God, there be the deciding change of students determining they want to live their life out and out for God, to serve the Master. So, Father, these are things we believe are right in the center of Your will. And these are prayers that as we ask in Jesus' name, we believe, Lord, that You will answer because they are according to your divine will. Bless us now tonight. Continue with us in our worship. We ask all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.
Well, there was one hymn that I intended to close the service with this morning, but our time ran on a little bit, and so we were not just able. But number 405, 405, we will stand and sing in heavenly love abiding. be seated. What a great hymn this is. The words are very powerful, and I pray a blessing to every heart as we have sung unto the Lord. Now I ask you to turn, please, to Psalm 3 in your Bibles. Psalm 3. We are thinking tonight of the story of Belshazzar in Daniel 5. And I'll be concluding tonight the mini three-part series within chapter 5 as we continue through the book of Daniel. But Psalm 3 will be something that you'll see connected with the account and the life of this man. The psalmist says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me, Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. 
I await, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Amen. May the Lord encourage your hearts by His Word tonight. When the psalmist speaks about God's salvation, the salvation belonging unto His people and coming, you hear the words of Jonah when he said, Salvation is of the Lord. And when we note this, that salvation belongeth unto the Lord, the blessing of God upon His people, well, each one of us tonight can say, yes, I know Him. Yes, I have proved His promises in my life. And I know they are real. I know they are vital to me. And I know the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. And therefore, I can boldly say the Lord is my helper. He is my salvation. I need not ever fear or be afraid. I can rejoice in Him. This is the same thing that Daniel could say, and that though 10,000 would be against him, and though he would wonder perhaps what will be the next thing that will be on his agenda or on his plate. And you know what? No matter what was coming his way, he turned his heart toward the Lord as he opened his window and turned it toward Jerusalem. And each time he did that, he called upon God. The Lord blessed and heard. And indeed, well, was Daniel in prayer that very day, that very night, that Belshazzar would call him? Well, he was a man faithful before the Lord, a man who walked with God, a man who was ready for any occasion in his life, any time he'd be called upon. Isn't that what we're told in the epistle of Peter? that we are to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. Well, believer, let us pray that if we are yet not ready, that God will make us ready, and He will have us to be always uh, on the alert for the occasion that is set before us. Welcome to our service tonight. We're very glad that you are here, visiting with us, maybe for the first time online, or someone who is here for the first time tonight in our service, and those who are the regulars, we want you to know you're all very welcome in the Savior's precious name. Please remember Sunday School Committee, we have a, a meeting after the service tonight in the counseling room. I mentioned this morning about the passing of Mrs. Sandra Brown. She passed last about a week ago, and do please remember Mrs. Femson, who has been a good friend of hers for a long, long time. Remember her in prayer as the whole circumstances around her death and burial are a little bit difficult, and so do please remember those who knew her within our own congregation and those uh, who are very close to her at this time. 
I meant to mention this morning, but I did not, although I did the last time I was here in the pulpit, that we want to have a work party this week, sometime this week. I thought it might have been on Monday evening, but actually it's going to be more suitable for those who are doing some of the work on Tuesday. And so some of the men are coming Tuesday afternoon about 3 o'clock, and I would ask that any other muscles or able-bodied men able to come Tuesday evening from about 5 or whatever time you can get here until dark. We have a lot of preparation to get done for the beginning of school, and mainly we have about 25 yards of mulch that will be coming, some special mulch that needs to go into our playground for the children, and then other red mulch that we put around the gardens, and uh, we need some help of those who will be able to move that with rakes and shovels and wheelbarrows and so on. And so we want to do that. We will also be having another work party in another week or so that will be able to clean up the things will not get done Tuesday. We have a large pile of brush out in the field that we need to bring in a chipper and put that through the chipper and get some work done there. And there will be other finishing details. Also, we don't want to let the ladies out or make them feel left out because on the next one, we're going to be having an interior clean of the church as well to go through all of the areas where the spiders may have been hiding. We will get them out, and we'll be sure that everything is clean and ready as we start the fall program. Please remember also Wednesday, our prayer meeting and Bible study at 7.30. Praying about our school, asking for you to be in prayer about that, as we start the day after Labor Day, and uh, much work has already been done over the summer. Uh, The teachers have been very busy in preparing themselves and their classes and praying much for their students. And so let's join with them in this very important ministry that we are engaged in. We are going to sing a psalm at this time now, Psalm 2, and we'll remain seated while we sing. Psalm 2, verses 1 to 5, and then verse 8, remaining seated while we sing.
men, and you will tell uh, by that, the words of that psalm how fitting they are for the subject matter we have tonight. Turn now, please, to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. The book of Daniel, chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 13 uh, to the end of the chapter. The last time we were together, we read the first 16 verses. I back up just a little bit in the context of chapter 5, but we have known it well that Belshazzar has been introduced on the pages of history, and he has begun that with the defiling of the vessels of the temple of God that were taken from Jerusalem by his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And he had a brilliant idea that he would make use of these vessels for the revelry that was going on in the party that he had. But of course, at the midst of that time, or in the middle of it, there was a problem that occurred that stopped everything very quickly. And Daniel was called in to give some help. We're going to read from verse 13 of Daniel 5. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that, Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have heard, even heard of thee, that the Spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing, and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor, and for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart 
was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hath not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but had lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God, in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tikel upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Join with me, please, for prayer. Father, give us, we pray, understanding in the Word as we have read. Father, make those necessary applications to our hearts. Speak to any who are without the Savior tonight and impress upon them the lessons as we will learn from this King. And teach us, Lord, teach every one of us the uncertainty of our days the brevity of life, and the fact that we, we dare not, Lord, make a joke or make light of or take for granted the days that we have. Hear our prayers now. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.
We have been thinking about chapter 5 and the man Belshazzar and how his life really is summarized in a path of willful destruction. He was a man who rejected the Lord, rejected the God of the Bible. In this account, the man Daniel steps to the forefront as a man of God whose radiant testimony real, it illuminated a very dark empire, and it brought light, the light of God, into a blasphemous feast where the king had defiled the sacred vessels of the temple. We learned before of the testimony that had been forgotten, or it was simply ignored by many in the kingdom, but it was remembered at the right time and in the right place, when all else seemed to have failed, to give the meaning of the strange writing on the palace wall. The king then promised some new clothes and some gold and a promotion for the person able to decipher the writing. Daniel is now in his late 80s or his 90s. And when he is promised the trinkets to give the interpretation, he cares nothing for those things. They are meaningless to him. The niceties of Babylon, he has seen them all, and he cares for none of them because of the defilement that is connected with those things. He said, the king can keep his stuff and all of his promotions, but he would give the interpretation regardless. We noted before that the queen mother came to Belshazzar and informed him that there was a man in the kingdom who was qualified and possessed the ability to make the writing known when all others had failed. This man, such a blessing to a nation, to any people, that it could be said there is a man in the kingdom, a man from God, a man who could advise and give the right direction, a man of truth, who could discern between right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error. It's very noticeable that the characteristics that Daniel was cited for here, a man of light, a man of understanding and wisdom, who possessed the Spirit of gods, or as they put it here, the spirits of the gods. And these characteristics that are recorded for us about the Messiah in the prophecy of Isaiah are very, very similar to those cited here about Daniel. Is that not something for us to consider? As we measure the value of the Son of God, as we measure the value of the Son of Man, who has come from the Father to an undeserving world, 
A world that was full of sinners, that is full of sinners. And yes, it can be said of our Lord Jesus, there is a man, the Son of Man, who has come with healing for us tonight. And believer, let us rejoice that as God through Daniel typified and look forward to the coming Messiah, we have received of the fullness of Jesus Christ. He is the man from God. He is that great deliverer and conqueror, the one who has conquered death and gives to us the message of everlasting life. And we will take that message from Him. We will take Him Himself. And we will say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life because He is the giver of eternal life. Friend, have you received Him into your heart tonight? Do you know Him as your own Lord and Savior? Can it be said, there is a man that has come to your life, to your heart? As we come to this story and account now of the final moments of Belshazzar's life, it is really the account, the very sad and solemn one, of the doom of this man. Belshazzar is in hell tonight. And my dear friends, I do not say that lightly. For the account we have before us is one that should shake every single man and woman right to the very core of their being and to search out and to know for certainty that you know your final destination. This is the message that comes to us tonight, and it is this, prepare for eternity, for no man, no person knows the day or the hour that our time will be up. Please notice the first thing tonight, the repeated warnings from God. The repeated warnings from God that came to Belshazzar. Among these warnings, it was the, the writing on the classroom wall. Yeah, Belshazzar's palace was really for him a place of instruction, a place where he was going to learn some very, very important things. Now, we are given that earlier on in chapter 5, in fact, it comes early on in verse 5, where we are told in the same hour that they were drinking and defiling the Lord in their drunkenness, came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. When this part of the hand of a man appeared, it immediately caught the attention of the king. Because as that hand appeared, that part of it, 
and began to write on the wall, it sent shock waves right to the very heart of this king. And so, in a moment, all of the feasting and all the music and all the revelry suddenly came to a stop because the king was no more laughing. The king was no more drinking. The king was fastened with all his attention upon what was appearing and what had appeared in front of him. Down through history, the phrase, the writing is on the wall, has become so very, very prominent among many, many people. It's a slogan in the English language in our world as a message of inescapable doom, of that which is confusing, of a foreboding message that is going to rock and shake the people who receive it. Now, for many who have no thought of God and no thought of His Word, it has been written and used in poetry and in song. And it's very vast and wide. From Jim Reeves, who sang about a a broken relationship whereby his lover's heart had been changed and it was now the writing on the wall, to the group called Earth, Wind, and Fire, or to the more radical rock group Iron Maiden, and a host of others in between. The list is vast, actually. The writing is on the wall. Why God sent only part of a man's hand to inscribe on that plaster, we cannot be sure. Was it to show the king who had been praising the gods of gold and silver and other materials that the God of creation, who had been blasphemed and who had made Belshazzar and every other human being out of nothing, God would now come with a message, but He would use the most common instrument that every human being has, a hand. And He would take that human hand to convey a most solemn message to the king that he had ever received before. There are a number of references, it is interesting, in the Bible to God writing with His fingers. During the plagues of Egypt, when the magicians were not able to duplicate the plague of lice, they said to Pharaoh, This is none other than the finger of God. They recognized that. They had been able by their conjurings and previous plagues to somehow duplicate that by sleight of hand and by the quickness of their magical uh, tricks, but this time they couldn't do it. They acknowledged that. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened nonetheless. We have another occasion on Mount Sinai when before Moses, God inscribed with His finger on the tables of stone the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. 
We also have an occasion in the New Testament when Jesus was accused of casting out devils by Satan's power. He said, But if I by the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come among you. So there are just three occasions where God uses His finger. Now we know that God does not have appendages as we do in human form. So He uses these ways or pictures so that we can understand and comprehend something about how God will move by His power and bring things to pass. And God, in this occasion, when He was going to speak to this man, and this time He did not use His own finger, but the message of God to this hardened king would come by the most common of appendages, a man's hand, and part of it, not even a full hand. You know, in the man today, God has given His Word through inspired men. And they have written His Word in the Bible. And the Lord has written about His existence and His power and His creation and of all the heavens and the magnificence of all that there is. But such was the love of God to a fallen world that He gave to us His own written revelation in the Bible. My dear friends, tonight, God has left every one of us without excuse. It wasn't just one phrase that He was going to write in Belshazzar's palace, but the Lord has given to us all of His holy revelation in His Word. And the Lord has commissioned holy men of God to use their hands and their fingers inspired by the Spirit of God. And the Lord has given to us His message. It is the love letter from God that has communicated His truth to our hearts. Believer tonight, never take God's Word for granted. Never look at the Lord's Word and say, I can do with this another time. No, God has given to us a great gift in this. And through this has been revealed to us the very greatest of gifts, God's only begotten Son. And as, my dear friends, that gift has been presented tonight, I wonder... Has everyone here received that gift? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? If you're uncertain on any of these matters, friend, do not delay, do not wait. Bring that matter directly to God. Bring it to the Lord and say, Father, God, I, I'm not certain. Am I saved? If you're not really sure, then don't rest tonight upon your bed until you make absolutely clear that you know Him and that you are saved by His grace. Because, friend, the solemn reality is this, that if you come to the end of your time and you are not truly a child of God, the Lord Jesus will say these solemn words, Depart from me. I never knew you. There was something else that was given to this man here as he was before 
well this time of feasting and the writing that was on the classroom wall, what other warnings were given to him? There came a very direct history lesson. Yes, he's in the classroom. And now comes the teacher into the classroom. And those who were false teachers, they had nothing to offer and they couldn't decipher and they could not teach. But Daniel is brought in and he gives this history lesson. It runs from verse 18 down to verse 21. And the history lesson is all about Nebuchadnezzar. Now what's fascinating about this is that the queen mother who had come in previously and who tried to say to Belshazzar, the son, like, man up, you're falling to pieces in front of everybody. There is, there is a man in the kingdom that is able to come and give light. And then she rehearses to him all about what happened in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, now Daniel is going to come in And he speaks to him, not interpreting the word and the writing on the wall right off, but he comes in and he begins with a very important word. When Daniel had heard the king's words and all the promises of the gifts, he virtually said, you can keep it all, but I'm going to give something to you but you're not going to give anything to me. Yet before getting to that, he took the opportunity to rebuke the king for his ignorance, his willful ignorance of some basic history. See, Daniel rehearsed that Nebuchadnezzar had received from the Most High God of heaven majesty, glory, and honor. And as a result of that majesty, all people and nations and languages, they trembled before Him. He and who would die. He decided who would be set up and who would be put down. And dare anyone standing in the presence of the King question Him? And yet for all this privilege given by God, Nebuchadnezzar did not humble himself but we're reading these words that his heart was hardened in pride. So much so that in a moment, actually after 12 months' time, Nebuchadnezzar had, and he thought himself exalted in his great kingdom and all that he had done, it happened in a moment that he was taken from his throne and he was sent out to the forest And he would eat grass as the asses and the oxen, and the dew would be wet upon him for seven years. Until, until God grasped his heart, until the truth of all that had been told, he had heard that Nebuchadnezzar knew, and now is being relayed to Belshazzar, until Nebuchadnezzar knew that the Most High rules in all this world, in the heavens, in the earth, in the hearts of men. And whom God exalts is the one who will be exalted and not the kings. And whom God will set down and take away, 
they will be taken away and there will be no questions asked. And all my dear friends, it is so important for us to not ignore the history that we have in the Scripture and the history that we have within our own understanding of reading. And friends, let's not forget the history of our own lives, our own sinful past. All of these things God will use to instruct us and to direct us. But if we turn our minds off to these things, if we close them off and say, I have no interest in them, I choose to be willingly ignorant of them, these are warnings. Warnings that God gives. And here the student, Belshazzar, he refused to listen. Look please at verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine You have not humbled your heart. This is a charge that is now brought against him by God's servant, by the man of God. Now the whole book of Daniel, it reveals the pride of man in the face of a sovereign, all-powerful God. And once more we are shown the purpose of the Lord and the patience and grace of God to undeserving people. And as the drama unfolded and the wise men were unable to read or interpret the writing, Daniel called before the king. And now it appears the king was, he was still not really humbled. Even when Daniel was called in, Because don't forget, his knees and the the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees were smiting one against another and then the queen mother comes in. But up to this point, you would think the man would be really humbled. But what does he say to Daniel? He says to him and he addresses him and says, Oh, oh, you're the captive slave, right? I'm the Babylonian. I'm the king. And you're just a slave. And you were the one that was brought out of Jewry, weren't you? We defeated them, didn't we? We conquered the temple. We took all their vessels. Can you see in this very way in which this king is addressing Daniel now? He doesn't have any respect for him. It's not the sad thing in reality. And friends, even in the face of very direct words from the God of heaven, even in the face of events that would be unfolding in front of the eyes of men, still what do they hold on to? They hold on to their pride. They hold on to their place. They hold on to their rights. They hold on to all these things and think, I'm not defeated yet. I'm still breathing. I still have my office, my place. Oh, there were Many repeated warnings to this man. I want you to notice in the second place tonight, Belshazzar's compounded sin. His compounded sin. He despised the opportunities 
that were given to him to repent. We read in verse 22 the first part of that phrase where the Lord says through Daniel that you have not humbled your own heart. Now note this, though thou knewest all this. Now just a minute here. I thought as Belshazzar put forward his idea to begin with that he wasn't really aware about who this Daniel was and all the messages of the past. It did not appear that he had any recollection of that. Oh yes, but he did. He knew it all right. And the statement that we have before us proves that this king was not without knowledge of the historical facts. He knew all about Nebuchadnezzar. And yes, the queen mother had recited the events, but this only reinforced the facts that already were known. Belshazzar was not ignorant of what had taken place. Now these matters, these matters would have been part of the curriculum, we'll call it 101, of king training. He would not have been brought to that position without being receiving the best of education. And he would have been taught about the history of his own nation. And he certainly would have been told about the greatest king, the head of gold of that image in the kingdom of Babylon. Now, my dear friends, he knew all these things. But you know what he had done? He had chosen to ignore them. He had decided, I'm going to put them out of my mind. I'm going to make my own path. I'm going to run things my way. I don't need to depend on anyone else. I don't need to learn from history. I'll take counsel from no one but myself. He was a man of his own time. And he would do things his own way. And so what he did, he brushed aside this old advice. And he dismissed the lessons of the past because he knew better. I ask you, are things any different today? Are men and women any different today? There's a saying that goes, the only thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn. And it was Winston Churchill who said, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. This applied to this king. But modern man, in his so-called enlightened state, he often feels that he has progressed beyond the need of God. He doesn't need the Lord. The evidence of nature and the warning of history, well, they fall on deaf ears. But I'll tell you, Romans chapter 1, it makes it very clear that the unrighteous man, and this is what Paul said by the Holy Spirit, unrighteous men, they hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now that statement doesn't seem to make any sense on the surface. How can you hold the truth if you're really holding it at all? What does that mean? It means that they have the truth in their hands. It means they have access to the truth of God. 
but they treat it as something that is unrighteous, unholy, and they knowingly have rejected God's Word. They also look at the eternal power of the Godhead of the Lord that is clearly seen and understood by the things that are made, and they leave people, Paul says, without excuse. No one can say, I never knew about this. I I never knew about sin. I never knew about the truth of God's Word. I never knew about righteous things. I never knew about good and evil. No one will be able to say that, friend. Because all men are without excuse before God today. Romans 1 goes on to say that they have changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image, a God made in the likeness of birds, of animals, and of insects. They have changed the truth of God into a lie, and they have worshipped and served the creation and the creatures more than the Creator. Is that not exactly what's happening today in men who have embraced this world and nature and naturalism and all the other isms of the day, but they have refused the God who created all of these things? And what was the result? God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. It's talking about lesbianism. Men burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly or unnatural and receiving in themselves that reward of their error, their sin, which they deserved. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Ah, friend, is that not a picture of our society today? Do we not see very clearly today through the lesson and message that was given to Belshazzar and how he refused to humble himself though he knew all these things? And though every man today and every woman today knows all these things are evil and wicked, yet they pursue them with all their heart. Friend, today, God, by His grace, is holding back His judgment upon our nation a judgment that is deserved. But one day, it may be sooner than we know or think, that judgment will fall. And God is withdrawing His hand of protection and provision from our nations. And we see what's happening. The ungodly are increasing. The God-haters are increasing those who are defiled with every form of immorality and iniquity, they are increasing. 
But Belshazzar wasn't finished. Because we're told that he exalted himself against the Lord God of heaven. Verse 23. But you have lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. Now, could you have, could you have imagined anything more bizarre? Anything more arrogant than a man who thinks himself a mighty king would dare shake his fist in the face of God? But that's repeated history. Pharaoh of Egypt did it many, many years before. And Belshazzar is following in the train of Pharaoh and all and every king and every man who has ever lived that has exalted himself against the Lord. He lifted up himself against the Lord. That was proactive. That was something that Belshazzar was doing actively against God. And sometimes people think, well, you know, man just doesn't know. He's just living his life, just having fun, living as a party, not thinking too much about it. But in that activity, it is a proactive step against the Lord and against the God of heaven. But then we're told that he did not glorify God. We find this also in verse 23. But thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods, silver, gold, brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God, in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. And this was and became a culminating sin in the life of this man. Of all things that he'd been guilty of, he did not glorify the God of heaven. And his very actions were evident about that. Friend, this tells us a very strong lesson that every single human being that has been alive from the days of Adam until the last man will be alive, that accounting will come against every one of us have you glorified the God of heaven through your life? Because if you have lived to yourself and to sin and to everything else, then now this is something of the, we could say, the inactive part of Belshazzar's. He was proactive in the fact that he lifted up himself against heaven, but now he would argue, well, I have, what did I do? I didn't do anything. You have not glorified God. You have failed to glorify the Lord. And this, my dear friends, is a great, a great sin. People think, you know, that all others are mortal but themselves. And how little do men think that the next breath that they have is held in the hand of an omnipotent God. 
But this was used toward this king to tell him, do you know how frail you are? Do you know how feeble and weak you are? Do you know how your life is hanging by a thread? And that the God of heaven whom you have defiled and you've ignored and you've not glorified, He's holding your breath in His hand. And in a moment, it is taken from you. Men don't think that way today. If they did, if every man thought that way, they would flee to God for repentance and for salvation. They would see, I, I'm, I'm hanging over hell. I'm about to drop into the lost abyss for eternity. And would, they would run to the Lord. But men don't do that. We have in this account the third thing and the final thing I leave you tonight is God's final word. The writing that no one else knew, nor the interpretation. Four words. The first one repeated. Mene, mene, tikal, eupharsin. These words relate to commodities of trading, of weighing currencies in the balance. And what they were praising in their drunken feast, well, it was the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron, wood and stone. These were all things that people used to trade, uh, to build, to buy, to sell. And these are the words that God will use now to get the attention and to speak the final judgment that will come to this man. But now it's not Belshazzar who's doing the counting. It's the Lord. And the very first word is mene, and it means to number. And the life of this man is under a divine audit. And the word is repeated to underline the thoroughness of this examination. There will be no fudging of the numbers. There will be no cooking of the books. No sleight of hand now on the ledger. No, no. That, that will not be happening because God's doing the accounting now. God has numbered this man. He numbered the kingdom. Babylon... The great is about to fall. The head of gold has come to an end. And man, with all his national pride and military might, they're only in a place by the Most High, the sovereign God of heaven. The next word that comes is the word of personal judgment to Belshazzar. It's the word tikal. It means you are weighed and you have come short. The balance of God, you know, it cannot be tinkered with. Some scales may be tampered with to favor the business, but not this one. The king had expended his opportunities to repent, and now the gig is up. It's all over. The door is closed. The meter of the life of this man has run out. The power in his life is about to be turned off. How many have been in 
the same situation as this king. They've heard the Gospel many, many times. It's been instructed into their minds by their parents, maybe by teachers. Family has led a righteous life. Gospel word, though, has been despised. Had the Bible in hand, maybe carried it to church at one time. But what will it be when God weighs that soul? Will you tip the balance, friend, of your sin by a good life? No, that can't happen. Because it's not by good works. It's not by anything that we can do to offer unto God for all our righteous living and ways. They're filthy before the Lord. And all of those things will be just too little and too late. And the final word given is Perez or Eupharsin, both meaning the same thing. And the word is divided, which comes back to Babylon again, being divided between the Medes and the Persians. It's very interesting that historical records by one man, a historian called Xenophon, he records that as the Babylon foolishly depended on the high walls, and they were high, and they were wide. Some say you could ride four chariots abreast across the top of the walls around the entire city. They were a stronghold. The gates were made of iron. They had never been defeated before. They were the strongest nation in the world. And so, instead of preparing for battle, because the Medo-Persian armies were outside the gates of the city, They were preparing to attack, but inside they were feasting because they were secure and safe. All was good. But what the Medo-Persian army was doing, they were busy damming up and diverting the Euphrates River because that river ran under the walls of the city of Babylon to give irrigation and water. They had a great supply for that river was flowing freely through there, but as they were damming up that river, it lowered the water level. And it lowered the water level enough so that the Medo-Persian army were able to go to in knee-deep water, get under the walls, and then the soldiers went and opened the gates, and the rest of the army came in. And so Babylon was taken without a fight. And we're told that, that night was Belshazzar's ruin. For that night he was slain. Many years of squandered opportunity. Friend, I say to you tonight again, and you watching online, I say to you, friend, do not presume. Do not think that you have days and weeks and years left. Because if you do not know the Lord tonight, I say to you, come. Come now this night. Come to Christ. Open your heart to Him. Confess your sins. You will find that now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God gives us this account for a very good reason. 
He gives it written for our learning, written for our instruction that we might know and that we might apply to our life and heart. And so, friends, if you know Him tonight, then you can rejoice with joy that is unspeakable and full of glory because you've been saved from the wrath that is to come. And we know ourselves in the Lord. We know we have a home in glory. We know our sins have been washed away. And we have that everlasting hope abiding in us. That peace that passes all understanding. Do you know Him tonight? I pray that you will come to trust in Him. We're going to close our service by singing a hymn, number 303. Hymn number 303. Out of Christ, without a Savior, oh, can it be, can it be, like a ship without a rudder on a wild and stormy sea, oh, to be without a Savior, with no hope, no refuge nigh, can it be, O blessed Savior, one without Thee dare to die. Let's sing, please, verses 1, 3, and 5. Father, take tonight, we pray, this very solemn word and write it on all our hearts. Father, I pray there would not be one in this meeting or listening that would dare to go out 
into eternity without the Savior. Father, work tonight, I pray. Comfort and encourage every one of us who are truly saved. and Carry us into this incoming week in the joy and peace of Christ and make use of us, Lord, as Your servants, as Your witnesses. Make us, we pray, soul winners for Jesus. Part us now in Your fear with Your rich and mighty blessing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.